When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner, Will Lomas. We are here to begin our off-season coverage. Uh, You know, usually, well, I will say this, you know, the last few years, the offseason has sort of been like non-existent for the Titans. Like, you know, two years ago, they made the playoffs and won a game, and then we had to go through a coaching search. And then last year, they didn't make the playoffs, but then we had to go through an offensive coordinator search because Matt LaFleur got fired by the Titans. Now, this year, we got to sit back and watch an AFC championship run, and now the Titans are looking for a defensive coordinator. So it's like... We haven't really gotten much of a break in the last few years after the season ends. No, we haven't, and this this may seem like it'll be a little less turbulent of an off season, uh, especially coming off a really good season. But like you said, uh, we need a defensive coordinator, which is a pretty big hire, even though all signs point to to an internal hire. Uh, it's still a very a very key decision that has to be made, and in addition, there are a lot of pending free agents that are high-profile free agents that that we have to discuss, that the Titans have to discuss. So it's definitely not not just smooth sailing from here until minicamp. Yeah, you know, the, I will say the one thing that kind of benefits Titans fans is there really isn't any sort of quarterback controversy or question marks or anything like that. Like, it seems pretty straightforward. So... I guess for the first time, we don't have a major, major, you know, a quarterback or head coaching change to worry about. But defensive coordinator, and we'll talk about it later, is a pretty important hire because it can mean a couple of different things. But, you know, it's good to start the offseason. It's super disappointing. I'm ready for the Super Bowl to be over because it's too many bad memories. But, Hmm. you know, I'm kind of enjoying being able to talk about the things that we've had to keep our mouth shut about for a while. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the Titans' search for defensive coordinator, throw out some names of, uh, of potential candidates. We're also going to preview the Super Bowl, talk about some AFC South news, and we'll do Stop the Nonsense as always. But if you want to keep up with the show, be sure to follow us on social media. We're at No Nonsense Pod on both Twitter and Facebook. You can also subscribe to or follow the show on whatever platform you use to listen to get our episodes quicker and faster every Wednesday. You can also, if you're listening on iTunes, help us out by leaving a rating and review. Uh, 
let's just start out with this defensive coordinator discussion without getting into details of why. Just throw out some names. I, I think, Matthias, you did mention Shane Bowen. Uh, who, who do you think are legitimate candidates? And we can get into reasoning in a minute. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I don't even know who, <laughs> what <laughs> candidates are even out there. It's like, I mean, yeah, I, I just, I really feel like it's going to be Shane Bowen. It, it seems like, it seems like this, uh, uh, th- this front office and Vrabel, they, they like making hires that, well, at least with the Arthur Smith hire, it was internal. And it seems like they kind of want to keep that continuity going. So I, I think it will be Shane Bowen. Uh, but in terms of like other guys that, that whose names are being floated around or, or at least that are, are highly regarded uh, in NFL circles to to be that next uh, coordinator for, for a team, um, Gerard Mayo has been mentioned. He's the Patriots inside linebackers coach, and a lot of us know him from his playing days. He, he was a really good linebacker, and, he, and he's done a good job with uh, some of those Patriots inside linebackers. Uh, then there's Chris Richard, who has already been a defensive coordinator. He's been a very successful one with uh, with the Seattle Seahawks. He, he was recently with the Cowboys. It didn't really work out there. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it was a weird dynamic because Rod Marinelli was the – was the defensive coordinator, but it seemed like him and Richard, like, I don't know if they split the duties. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what was going on there, but he has a good track record and I I wouldn't hate him being uh, a potential candidate, especially given his experience and his success. Yeah. I think the split there was Marinelli was more like front seven and defensive line driven. And, uh, Chris Richard was like the defensive backs coach or like passing game coordinator. One, one of those kind of like borderline defensive coordinator roles. But anytime you have that, it's just too many cooks in the kitchen. Like it just, it doesn't work out correctly. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't ever like the idea of doing that. Um, I mean, obviously, the one we need to talk about is Wade Phillips because he's, you know, maybe a top five defensive coordinator over the last 30 years. Like, there's just very few people who have as productive a career as he's had. So, I mean, I don't I don't think this is any secret. If you follow me on Twitter, I was asking for Wade Phillips to be the next defensive coordinator in November or December, whenever the rumors came out that maybe the Rams weren't going to pick him, pick up his salary or rehire him or however that worked. Um, Chris Richard is somebody that I do really like, and I was going to say it if you didn't, just because uh, the Titans have a new defensive back coach with no resume to speak of that's you know worth talking about, and then uh, having Chris Richard would give you sort of a defensive back specialist on top of a guy who's called good game plans on defense before. Um, so Wade Phillips, Chris Richard, both of those guys I would really like anybody else and you're gonna have to convince me why i should be anything but just completely dejected why why would you be completely dejected if they had (laughs) shane bowen i I mean he's never called a defense at any level in his entire career well neither did bill belichick at one point neither did who sorry bill belichick Oh yeah, I mean, I know that's a stupid that's thing for me to say, I mean, but I mean, it, like, it, it, <laughs> it's also like, I mean, yeah, like, okay, I guess that is true, but he did call a defense in college, like, it, he didn't just start as an NFL defensive coordinator. Yeah, well, like, I'll, I'll say this: I think Vrabel deserves a bit of trust because 
I mean, let's let's take a look at the coordinators he he's tried to hire or has hired. He tried to hire Ryan Day. Ryan Day stated Ohio State as the head coach and has seamlessly taken over from Urban Meyer. Um, second, he hired Matt LaFleur as offensive coordinator, who is 13-3 as the Packers head coach this year. Dean Pease, who everyone loved, and uh, and Arthur Smith, who did a great job. Had, had The Titans had their best offense in over 15 years, I think, with Arthur Smith at the helm. So I think Vrabel deserves a benefit of the doubt at this point. He's proven that he can pick good uh, good assistant coaches. Yeah, he picked Kerry Coombs too, Tyrone McKenzie. So there are a lot of good good hires he's made, and he's assembled a very good staff. Uh, and and I agree, he he does deserve a lot of uh, at least the benefit of the doubt with with what he's going to pick. Uh, that said, I, I mean picking Shane Bowen probably is not the sexy uh, sexy decision. Uh, I, I don't know if it's right, honestly. I, I I don't I can't get too in depth into it because I just don't know what a lot of these guys are going to bring to you uh, until we actually see it uh, put into practice. But to, another guy I'm going to mention, I know everyone hates him. Uh, it's Steve Wilkes. He's he got he got fired he got fired by the Browns. Yes, I liked him as a potential head coaching candidate. The Titans did too. They brought him in for an interview. Granted, it was probably to satisfy the Rooney Rule, which but like that's is that even still a thing? Like it is, it is yeah, technically. Yeah. Although I think there are like loopholes. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, regardless, they liked him enough to to bring him in for to satisfy that rule so they at least hold him in high regard in, in some in some fashion i re, i still think he could be a capable defensive coordinator i know it didn't work out with the browns this year but nothing ever works out with the browns and freddie kitchens was a horrible horrible head coach so i don't know how much wilkes is really to blame there uh and a reason i really like wilkes is his his panthers defenses were were one of the best, some of the best in the league uh, during his time there, and he runs a four three. Which, which my favorite, my favorite Freddie Kitchens moment this year was from the Miles Garrett Mason Rudolph game, where afterwards he was at the podium and he said, "Well, helmet to helmet contact happens every week in this league," <laughs> which is wild. Oh man! So Shane Bowen, I think we can identify as probably the most likely candidate. Quite frankly, I'm not even that educated on his you know, track record. I mean, where where he came from Houston with Vrabel, right? I, I believe so. I think he was an Ohio State defensive assistant uh, for a year or two, maybe when Vrabel was there. And then yeah. I want to say he jumped in with Vrabel in Houston and then made the jump to Tennessee. I probably should have done this before we recorded. Uh, but now I've got my trusty media guide right here with bios on every member of the coaching staff. So let's see. Must be nice. There's Keith Carter. Well, you can get a PDF online. The book itself is like 100 pounds. Um, okay, Shane Bowen, coaching timeline. So outside linebackers with the Titans last two seasons. Before that, he was a defensive assistant in Houston. No specific title. He did linebackers at Kennesaw State for three years. He was a graduate assistant at Ohio State, presumably when Vrabel was there. Or maybe Vrabel. No, yeah, Vrabel was there. Yeah, he had retired by that point. So that's where they first met, I'm assuming. And, uh, yeah, that graduate assistant, assistant linebackers coach at Georgia Tech. Man, 
That doesn't really give me a lot of confidence. No, it's a he's, bad resume. He's the guy to run a yeah. defense. I don't know. It, it's legitimately a bad resume. And, you know, I say this as a guy who's got no chance of coaching and being a defensive coordinator in the NFL either. Like, I'm not saying that, like, he's not more qualified than the average person. But to say that he's the most qualified person for this role without at least interviewing other candidates publicly yeah. or privately, you know, and we'll never know probably because nobody has inside information on the Titans, no matter, you know, what they say. But it's just like it just feels like the easy decision instead of the right one. Um, and it'll be masked as like a belief in continuity or uh, maybe as a, a fit for this team, quote unquote, in the locker room. But I mean, as much as I believe those things are real, I also don't know that that's an acceptable excuse not to at least look at some of the other very qualified names. I don't. Go ahead, Matias. I just. It's comparable to Arthur Smith because Smith had almost like, what, eight, nine years uh, on the Titans as an offensive quality control coach, a tight ends coach. Uh, You know, he's had success in the NFL before. Uh, given his position group and, and given his titles, so I don't, I don't think it's really comparable given their respective resumes. I, th- no, I think and I mean, you make it, good points. Also, the big selling point on Arthur Smith was that he knew Mariota and he was going to be the guy to put him in a system that worked. Like, if you're making your decision, it turned around, out that wasn't possible. Right. So it's like, you know, if, if you're making your decision around trying to make what you think is your franchise quarterback comfortable, okay, maybe you take somebody who is a little bit rough around the edges, doesn't have any play calling experience, that's fine. But, like, I mean, that's, that's not what Shane Bone – like, okay, I'll ask you, Luke. Like, at what point in his career had, do you think Shane Bowen has shown that he's exceptional – enough to where you think he deserves this promotion and not in terms of like i think he you know has practically what like what tangible results do you think he has where he's elevated anybody above where they should be i have no idea i mean yeah so <laughs> like like that but that's like i guess that's my point they haven't been good the last two well years. yeah it's like everybody like you know i think people will point to the increase in production from Harold Landry or whatever. Luke is not a fan. I know that, but like, he oh, always, yeah, had, that, yeah, I'm not that gonna was be naturally going to come. Well, yeah. And like, I, you know, you <laughs> coming up Ryan after Rapp, the break, but, we're going to have the Harold Landry conversation. Yeah. The not new Corey Davis. Uh, I'll have to teach Luke. Uh, but like you look last year, not this past season, but 2018 when he had, Brian Morgan and Derek, or, or Brian Morgan, Brian Aratko <laughs> and Derek Morgan, six of one, and like he combined for like two sacks with those guys. Oh, that it's was not brutal. Really elevated but the, yeah, but that's not. I mean, what's he supposed to do? I mean, I don't know that anybody's going to make Brian Aratko any better or worse at that point. No, but I mean, like, I I guess at that point the question is why don't you start Harold Landry at some point? Like, why don't you make the make the cause the positional they coach? They did. To this guy and by the end of the season. But that's just because Arakpo or Morgan, I forget which one of them got hurt, like, and they missed. Well, yeah, but I mean, (laughs) I mean, like, I don't, I don't give him credit. I don't know, like, well, I I mean, I would even rather have Tyrone McKenzie be the defensive coordinator, just because, like, I can look at his. He's the inside linebackers coach, if you don't know, but. he like I can look at his positions and say, you know, when David Long had to step in this year, he was good. 
you know, Rashawn Evans was good when he got healthy. Jayon Brown has taken steps forward under, you know, you, you can see all of that. And you also see that Wesley Woodyard was really good last year, even though like he clearly had like lost a step between last year and this year, you know, it, you can see tangible growth at inside linebacker. I don't know that you can say you see it at outside linebacker edge, whatever you want to call it. Well, let me, let me say this. So I think I commented a few weeks ago that, that Vrabel has changed my mind on the importance of schematics for a head coach. I think it's much more about can you be a leader of men, can you instill a culture. However, with a coordinator, you're kind of just like in your booth studying the film in your office. And so I think that for that job, the schematic stuff is maybe more important than can you be a leader of men? Can you coach? Now, you got to get people to buy in still. Don't get me wrong. Dean Pease talked a lot about that in his retirement press conference. But I still think that, like, I mean, I, and this isn't me saying that Shane Bowen needs to be the defensive coordinator, but I think that when you're talking about, okay, who should be the defensive coordinator, the, the argument should not be, okay, well, this guy made his position group better. Because, like, really, who cares? Like, that doesn't, doesn't – that's like saying – well, you know, they should hire Will to be an accountant because he really knows football. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess then the question is, is how can you possibly gauge anybody's level of qualification? And and and, and honestly, the answer to that question might be you can't. It's just a, it's not a guessing game, but Vrabel knows these guys and he has conversation with these guys and he probably understands, like, hey, this guy can probably figure out how to call a, a, a game and, and make a good game plan, and this guy might not have that you know, up his sleeve. I just, I just don't see them going the route of failed head coach, like a Steve yeah. Wilkes or a Wade Phillips or someone like that. Let me say this, because this is something I said last year, and I don't think I've even said it this year out loud because I was just now thinking about it, but... Uh, one of the best defensive coordinators in college football has been Bob Shoup, who had a, had an issue when he came to Tennessee because he didn't get control. But with Penn State and with uh, Mississippi State, he's done exceptionally well. I believe he's at Penn State. Yeah, he was at Penn State before, and then he's at Mississippi State before, after that, uh, which was where Jeffrey Simmons came. I from. thought I thought he was terrible at his job. No, like he. I think he's had two top ten defenses the last two years, uh, and he's brought him up from like yeah, like. The Mississippi State defense specifically, when he was there, like progressively got better and better. And uh, Robinson has drafted uh, Austin Johnson and Jeffrey Simmons both from that from his defenses. Uh, you know, and they play defensive tackle. You know, whatever. But the point is, is that he's made those guys incredibly productive. And Simmons has panned out, and Johnson didn't. But there's very clearly a respect level there. And I know that. Um, Shoop was I, I, there was an interview with him after the draft where he talked about Simmons and kind of gave his like this is why Jeffrey Simmons was the right pick speech uh, to Titans fans at some event and uh, it, it was very well received and he talked about how Vrabel and Robinson had talked to him and what he'd said it, the point is that there's a mutual respect between those three people where if it's not somebody from inside 
I think the most likely person would be Shoop, but that's just connecting the things I've seen Robinson do and the people Vrabel has respect for. It doesn't mean that it'll ever come to fruition. I just don't see Vrabel hiring someone, whether it's for an inside or outside hire, that he doesn't know. Like he's, an, yeah, I don't know he, that he's yeah, going no. to bring, uh, you know, Steve Wilkes in and say, "Hi, my name is Mike Vrabel. You want to be my defensive coordinator?" Like, even if it's like a tangential connection, there's going to be a connection. I mean, that's that's a major flaw, though, right? Like, because it's of the Will they win the AFC Championship no, with that? I understand. Like, I understand, and that's that's great. But eventually, the people he has actually worked with in the league will not be this yeah, list of great. Yeah, I mean, but but they're not at that point yet necessarily. I mean, he's two for two with Arthur Smith and Dean Pease. I mean. I, I guess, man. Like, hey, I'm not. I mean, Matias, you're, you're laughing. What, what do you so, want to say? No, no, no. It's funny that 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 Will was just scoffing at that. <laughs> laughing at. No, but I I kind of want to pose a question. Would you rather have an experienced old defensive coordinator who has had good defenses in the past, but maybe lately their his defenses haven't been good, or would you rather? a new hire, like a young gun that they will usually see happen on the offensive side, but this time for the defensive side. I think there's probably a lot of untapped potential across the league on the defensive side of the ball. Just because like you said, the offensive side is we want young quarterback guru, young quarterback guru, young quarterback guru. Whereas on defense, it's just like, we want Jim Schwartz. We want Wade Phillips, which is fine. Like both of those guys are great play callers, but I think there's probably to your point, some untapped potential. I mean, it's weird. I don't know if maybe defensive coordinators are more, or old ones at least, are more like they'll change. They're more willing to change uh, their schemes and, and their philosophies than maybe some of the older, more experienced offensive yeah. coordinators. I remember, I remember Dick LeBeau saying when he was with the Titans, someone asked him about, because he was like in his 80s, and someone asked him about you know staying in tune with the times, and, and he said, you have to evolve or you die. Yeah, I mean, well, did he not, did not finish he did, strong. With he him. did not evolve. <laughs> he did not evolve late in his career. Um, he, he evolved to cushion on fourth down and two. I will never forget. I will never forget. And I know I I I say a lot of things about Antonio or Antoine Blake, Valentino Blake. This isn't on him though. This is on Dick LeBeau. Fourth down and two, and this dude's playing ten yards off the ball. It yes. was shocking. Shocking. Yeah. It was. <laughs> Oh, it was the worst. Um, I think um, th- I, th- I want to say it was the Alex Smith Chiefs, and or or uh, it was either them or the Bears, and whoever the quarterback was just threw a rocket to the receiver who like took two steps forward and had the first down. I mean, it had to be the Chiefs. I, I don't know. Like I don't remember. I've blocked all that out. Um, I, I will say, going back to your question, Matias. I feel like it's like, would you rather have $10,000 in scratch-offs or $5,000 in Apple stock? Like, you're pretty sure that the Apple stock is going to appreciate, and it's going to be a solid thing to own, like a quality defensive coordinator would be. But there's a chance that you might hit it big with the lottery tickets. So it's like, you know, there's untapped potential in lottery tickets, but there's also a whole bunch of room for failure. Huge risk. Either of you you, uh, religious lottery players? No. Uh, no, but I do love Apple. <laughs> yeah, I know, I've known Same. people that like will play the lottery like every day. 
And it's not like a gambling addiction. Like, they'll just go and buy, like, a $1 ticket like you would a cup of coffee. And I'm just like, that's just weird to me. Yeah, I mean, it would be dope to win it. (laughs) Like, that's what I think about every time is I'm like, oh, man, $300 million. I would love to win that. And just like with defensive coordinators, like, I would love to find the next, like, Sean McVay, like, a great offensive coordinator out of nowhere. Like, I would love to find the next great defensive coordinator in our own backyard. But honestly – is that what's best for the Titans is to find a great young defensive coordinator and then him get hired away next year? Or is it better to bring in somebody like Wade Phillips or Chris Richard, who feels like a guy who wants to be a coordinator for a long stretch? I think, I think the goal is just to win this year and then but think that, about but next you year. Cannot, you cannot hire Shane Bowen. If, that, if your goal is to win this year, you need to hire somebody who knows what they're doing. I think for that's Arthur true. I think that's true. Yeah, wow. and and I think Arthur Smith is going to only get better when he has a second running back that isn't a liability, where he doesn't like Henry's really really good, but he's not exactly the guy you want on like uh, you know third and six out there because he's not a great pass protector and he's also not a great checkdown receiver, and you know a lot of the Dion Lewis stuff is just kind of like there was nowhere else to go. So you know I, what, I think man, I am. <laughs> I am. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it was Arthur Smith the whole time. It wasn't Deion Lewis's fault. Um, anything else you guys want to add on this? I mean, we didn't really throw out names. We just kind of threw out strategies. Okay. Yeah. Why don't we do this? Why don't we all go around and say the person that we hope they like? If we could pick one name, the name that's most intriguing, or the guy we think is the best fit. Mine is obviously Wade Phillips. I think Chris Richard is the best option. I really do. It's going to be Shane Bowen. <laughs> That's not what I said. That's not I, I didn't, what I didn't he say, said. I did say make a prediction. I, I don't know. I, I don't really have a, like a preference. Like I don't know that that uh, uh, Shane Bowen's the best idea. I also don't know that um, you know any of these outside people are great either. I mean, I would love if Jim Schwartz could be their defensive coordinator, but unfortunately he has a job. Do you, though, man? He's he's, not on no. Is Jim Schwartz better than Wade Phillips? Like, no, right? Like, it never at any point in his defense have been – they've been bad the last two years, man. And, like, they sell out to stop the run, so they have, like, historically good run defenses, which is cool. But then they have the worst secondary in the league like two years in a row. So I don't know. Yeah, I like remember, and especially given which is wild. Especially Court. given the modern NFL, I, I don't. That doesn't inspire. I remember that game uh, in 2018 where the Titans won in overtime. Corey Davis worked Jalen Mills from the first snap oh, to that last snap of overtime. Jalen Mills, what's awful? Sorry. Yep. <laughs> Back well, when Corey Davis was good. We're going to, uh, you know, well, we can we can fit this in before the break. We we kind of talked the other day about the idea of trading Corey Davis, and I think if you can get something, maybe like a late day two, early day three pick, I think you probably do it, right? A what? A pick? Sorry. Late day two, early day three, like a three or four. No, for a three, for a three, I think you think about it. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you're or just like not. A, let's. I mean, he, he might. 
there might be this untapped potential there, but you're not using him. Why do you have him? Well, that that's the thing is like the potential has been tapped. It was tapped last year. It just wasn't like there was no focus on it this year. Like exactly. No like look, we can yeah. sit here and argue till we're blue in the face about whether Corey Davis is good or not, and we've had those discussions. But the reality is, either way you feel about that, they're only throwing to him three times a game, and he's got a twelve million dollar option offer in two years. Yeah, and like people will bring up that he does more for the team. Uh, than than catching the ball. Which, oh, the blocking. I, mean, I mean, that's. I mean, yeah, it's great, great blocker, but, but you can get that from anyone, you know. Like, so when have know. we ever looked at a team that won the Super Bowl and been like, "Man, their receivers were just so good at blocking." Yeah, it, it never. Makes it's just kind of like one of those things <laughs> where, like, as long as it's not a liability, you're okay. Like, I've watched Tajay Sharp. Tajay Sharp's a great run blocker. AJ Brown is okay. Uh, but Tajay Sharp's a good run blocker, and that's just a you know a guy. So, by the way, yeah. Ta- Tajay last week, I think it was Thursday, tweeted out. Um, let me find this because this is one of the greatest tweets I've ever seen. I have since sent this to so many friends, like to in like. Okay, he tweeted. I was taught to distance myself from the weak. Oh man, that is the, like the best. I've turned that into my own personal meme. <laughs> like when, like when someone's like, "Do you want to hang out?" I'll respond with that. Yeah, he Luke is very mean to us when we text him. <laughs> I We're not going to sign him, by the way, are we? I don't oh no, I mean, I wouldn't think so. We, we'll have that discussion later. He's going to be an Oakland Raider for sure. For I sure. could see that. Tajay Sharp. Well, let me tell you what I like about Tajay Sharp. <laughs> the, the oh, we got John Gruden, Seth Roberts. Yeah, like he would be that guy. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to preview the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, the Titans are not in it, but two very, very good teams are. We're going to make picks. We're going to talk about uh, our favorite storylines and all of that good stuff in 30 seconds. Okay, let's talk about this Super Bowl. Um, What are your favorite storylines or... You know, just kind of what's your, what's your favorite part about this game? I think my favorite part is the story arc of Richard Sherman. That's that's been really fun to watch because I think it may have been back in like uh, we were having a discussion over the summer about you know what it means to be a Hall of Famer, and we were throwing out names like is this guy a Hall of Famer? And one of the names we threw out was Richard Sherman, and I very distinctly remember I was like he could be, but I'm just not sold yet. Well, good Lord, this year he put the nail on that coffin. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer, for all I care, unless he has an Antonio Brown-esque exit from the NFL. I mean, this guy, third Super Bowl of his career, a Pro Bowl incentive-maddening season at age 30 or 31, or however old, 31. Uh, He's been a stalwart of this league for the last 10 years. I mean, it's... Easy. So I love Richard Sherman. It's been fun to watch him this year. And so that's kind of my favorite part about this game. I'd love to see him win a second ring. Yeah, and it's just amazing because he tore his Achilles like, what, two years ago, maybe three years ago. And for him to get back to this level, uh, it's just it just shows how good he is. Um, 
it, it just how good he is from a like a technical perspective in terms exactly. of his, his technique, just how smart he is. Uh, he knows what he has to do. He knows where he has to be. He knows where the receiver is going to be all the time. He's just he's amazing to watch. And yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him uh, get another Super Bowl ring. I wouldn't mind that because. Uh, my favorite kind of storyline from the Super Bowl is the Kyle Shanahan redemption story. Yeah, you know, he he gets there with the Falcons as their offensive coordinator. He coordinates one of the best offenses uh, ever, uh, I think. In terms of, I don't, I don't remember what it was. Maybe like um, yards per player or something. I, I don't exactly. I mean, serious, like, seriously, if they hadn't lost that twenty-eight to three lead, uh, I think we would be having a Matt Ryan Hall of Fame conversation. You're you're probably right, and. and you're, no, you're probably right, uh, and and we're never talking about Dan Quinn ever again. But here we are. Uh, no, but I think it'd be awesome to see Kyle Shanahan win it, especially because, man, that offense deserved that Super Bowl that year. But he he made a couple of bad decisions in terms of uh, getting away from the run uh, late in that game, or, or or just not not calling the right plays and. Then he goes to San Francisco, gets the head coaching job, loses Jimmy Garoppolo in, in his first season. Uh, so that was just a wasted season. And now he gets Jimmy Garoppolo back, coordinates an unbelievable offense that can beat you in any which way. They could be with their star tight end. They could throw the ball to Emmanuel Sanders, Debo Samuel, or they could just run it down your throat, which is what they've done all season. Uh, and he's backed that up with a really, really good defense, which, I mean, did, did any of us see this 49ers defense coming? Uh, I don't think I don't think anyone saw but I mean, like, looking at it now, we should have. We should have, but it, the talent was never used, <laughs> yeah. that, used that's, in the right way. I mean, they've got four first-round picks on their defensive line. Technically five but, if you count they, Solomon Thomas, they, they who's they not a starter. Had, yeah, I was going to say, they also you had four picks last year. Like, that's the thing is, like, just because they added another – just like we didn't think that the Lions were going to become one of the best offenses in NFL history when they added another receiver in the first round for, like, ten straight years. Well, like, that's because I mean, they're the Lions. Yeah, like – but it almost seemed like it was a redundancy. Like, you tra- like you get all these guys, like, in – it wasn't the wrong pick. Like everybody knew that. And this is part of my storyline too, is that everybody knew that Bosa was going to be great. The que- the question was, is he going to be as good as his brother or is he going to fall short? I mean, he's, I mean, I don't want to say he's better than his brother in year one because I'm Joey sure. is outstanding, but I mean, man, Nick is a freak too. Like they're both just outstanding edge rushers. So, you know, you look at that defense, and maybe you could have called it before the season, but, I mean, it, it's also a defense that, you know, I, I guess you can't put this all in the defense, but last year they were uninspiring. You've got a quarterback coming back from an ACL. Because the, the way it happened with Shanahan is he didn't get Garoppolo until late in the season, and then he was undefeated with Garoppolo, and then Garoppolo gets hurt on, like, the first or second game last year and they you know tank and then everybody's asking is he the right guy and then you know nobody's bragging about the 49ers defense when the running game and the passing game isn't working on the other side of the ball so it's almost a forgotten storyline how good Shanahan is at calling complimentary football games but to me the main storyline here is who's the more important, like, quote-unquote brother, which is, is it Bosa or is it Schwartz for Kansas City? Because 
all you're going to hear about because Jeff Schwartz is in the media and stands. Well, I won't hear about that because I've had him muted for years. Correctly so. Like, all you'll hear regurgitated on, you know, bad shows like uh, the Cowherd show and all those, like, you'll hear, like, oh, like, let's talk to our offensive line expert, which is just the offensive lineman whose name they know this week. And right now it's Schwartz. So, like, you know, Jeff Schwartz will be like, my brother's the greatest player of all time. And that's not true. But it, you'll hear it and you'll hear it and you'll hear it. But he's going to actually have to prove it against Bosa, who's phenomenal. And, you know, one of the best edge rushers in the NFL at just dismantling how you want to block him. Because even when you think you have him blocked, like, he's just so long and strong that it's really hard to keep him off the quarterback. So, that, to me, is the most interesting thing in a game that everybody wants to talk about Tyreek Hill or Patrick Mahomes or all the, you know, Debo Samuel, all the skill position talent. I'm really excited to watch that defensive line against Kansas City's offensive line. Who do you think's going to win? Man. I know. I, my pick is easy for me. I think it's going to be the 49ers. Every single year – People get duped into thinking that the team with the high-flying, really good offense is going to win, and it never, ever happens. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's, go, let's go back to 2012. Greg Roman and Colin Kaepernick, no one can stop them until they get to the Super Bowl and lose to the team that has multiple Hall of Famers on their defense and Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. The year after that, Peyton Manning and the Seahawks. Peyton Manning puts up the greatest quarterback year still to this day ever, but he was no match for the Legion of Boom and the really good Seattle defense. Next, Peyton Manning Super Bowl. Same story except flipped. The Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton, NFL MVP, couldn't get past Wade Phillips' Denver Broncos defense. Mm. Um, I mean, I could keep going with this. Mike uh, Kyle Shanahan against the Patriots. The, you know, the best offense arguably of the last decade, and he couldn't get it done against a really good defense. Sean McVay last year. Every single time, it's the team with the good mm-hmm. defense that gets the job done on the biggest stage, and so that's why I'm picking the 49ers. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fair, and I do think the Niners will actually come away with this. Uh, I mean, I'd love to see Mahomes and Andy Reid win. Uh, I really would. I, I think Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league, but I mean, they just haven't played. Once have they played a good defense in the playoffs? I don't think that the Titans' defense could really be considered good given all the injuries they were dealing with and, and some of the and the decisions um mm-hmm. from a scheme perspective uh they played against the texans we all know how how i, I don't want to say a curse word how terrible the, the, <laughs> the texans defense is um and they just had no way of containing uh homes in that offense but they haven't come up against a defense that can generate pressure like the niners can they've done it all all season, and the Chiefs' offensive line hasn't had a test like this. Uh, I, I don't know since when. I mean, they have. We already talked about Bosa. Uh, they signed D Ford. It, we, D Ford has been the be- the worst, the worst defensive lineman on their team because DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead are having unbelievable seasons. It's just, it's a lot to deal with. And then you take into account that Richard Sherman is on the back end. Jimmy Ward has been one of the best safeties in the entire league. Fred Warner has been one of the best middle linebackers, probably the best middle linebacker in the entire league this season. It's just, it's a lot to handle, and I think it sets up really well for the Niners' defense. And then you look at the offense. Who, how are the Chiefs 
going to get off the field against the 49ers run game. Yeah. And even if they sell out to stop the run, which they kind of seem to do with the tight ends, uh, who's going to cover George Kittle? He's an absolute monster, and he can go off for 150, 200 yards if he's the the focal point of the game plan. Yeah, it's it's hard because, you know, Luke, you, you talked about it a lot where you said the defense always wins this matchup, and it, that's that's always where my head goes is who's got the better pass rush, who's got the better defensive line. And, I mean, I, I, I'm going to pick San Francisco to win, like I'm not, and I'm not going to say like, but if this happens, they'll lose because that's a bad way to, you know, that's no conviction. But I, I just think it's really interesting because this is the de- defense that Dean Peace thought he had. Is he thought he had a group that could get to the quarterback with, you know, four and three, yeah. and and Salah's going to rush people because he's smart and he knows you have to get Mahomes off his spot. But it. It will be really interesting to see if this defense works against Kansas City's offense when you've got you know a front four that can do what Dean Pease wanted them to do. Because if if it is, then you know in my head Dean Pease is a little bit less kind of like vilified and disappointing and more of like okay, you had the right idea. I can see schematically how it could happen if you had all pro players, but it just didn't work out that way. So. To me, like I said earlier, that's the most interesting matchup. But, I mean, Matias, you're right. Like, everybody talks about Kansas City's offense, and I'm sure we'll hear this part of the storyline this week, but everybody talks about, like, how hard it's going to be to stop Kansas City's offense. San Francisco's offense is tailor-made to beat Kansas City. Like, how how they want to get on the edges, how they want to line up and get find a way with, you know, fullbacks and all that to get you out of formation and to play heavy just so they can exploit you with guys like Kittle and Debo Samuel. You know, you've got Tyron Matthew, and that's great. Maybe he can help take away one of those guys. But just like with uh, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey on the other side, like, those two are really hard to stop. Like, it, it's just hard to cover those guys. And Shanahan is not afraid to run Samuel on a sweep. He's not afraid to do whatever he wants with Kittle. Like, I mean, he, like, there is no predictability in his game. He he can do whatever he wants and attack you however he wants with whatever group he, I mean, there's a chance that Kyle Juszczyk ends up being the MVP yeah. of this game. Like, Seriously. whether, yeah, I mean, whether he's called it or not, because, I mean, he could have six receptions for 100 yards and a touchdown and also be, like, the best lead blocker, you know, of anybody on the field. So he can attack you so many different ways that, in the end, I just think that the 49ers are the better team overall, even if Mahomes and that Kansas City offense can be more explosive for periods. I don't think you can get behind – 10 points, 14 points, 20 points, whatever it is like they have been for the past, you know, two weeks and come away with a win against such a talented team. No, because they, especially on offense, they will just move the chains because they have guys like Debo Samuel, like George Kittle, Mostert now. They just, they shed tackles. They don't get tackled and they just move the chains on and on. And it just, it runs the clock out. And if you get into too big of a hole, it's, it's over. It's impossible to come back. I will say yeah. this. Let, let's say you're a quarterback in the NFL and your coach comes to you and you say, okay, I want you to pick five skill position players and we're going to go trade for them all. Would George, George Kittle would be one of the five, right? Yeah, like if we've got to assemble a team. like I mean, just, like- just, you know, 
like top five guys like as a quarterback you would want to throw to because they always talk about the tight end as the security blanket because they're over the middle it's typically easier throws to make I mean I love Travis Kelsey don't get me wrong but this George Kittle guy I mean oh my gosh it's it's, it's like a it's like it's it's like Jimmy Graham combined with a running back he's also an incredible blocker yeah that's (laughs) that's what I was gonna say it doesn't make sense it's like the wildest thing about him is if you put like a little guy over the top of him to press him and like fake like he's going to cover. I mean, he's going to run you over. And there's it's like, like clips of him. It's like, like Jimmy Jimmy Graham meets LeGarrette Blount meets uh, uh, who is that fullback the Ravens used to have? McClain. LeRon McClain. No, yeah. no, no, no. That's not O'Neal. No, that's the Titans. Number 44. Yeah. Played on both. Vontae Leach. That's who I'm oh, thinking of. Vontae Leach, who played for the Texans, too. Oh, my God. Um, it's like a combination yeah, of Vontae Leach, LeGarrette Blunt, and Jimmy Graham, and that's George Kittle. He almost reminds me of, like, Heinz Ward if he was athletic. Like, he takes, like, I guess, more athletic. But he's a wide receiver. But, like, it, he seems like he's bigger, stronger, faster, harder to tackle. Uh, like, and he's like, he not, not only will he block, he loves to block. Like he loves to assert his dominance. And that's kind of what Heinz Ward was known for. Just like, you know, he wants to hit people as hard as he can and then, you know, make a few catches a game and make plays out of it. But it's weird because he's so electric and I, I don't really know how you can describe somebody as one of the best blockers in the game and also an electric ball carrier. But he he is just that. So yeah, like going back to your question, like he would have to be, if you're especially if you're talking about mismatches, he would have to be one of the five guys that you're like that guy's got to be on my team. I mean, like I'd want to throw to like Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, uh, you know, Kittle, I mean, Tyreek Hill. I mean, all, that's just how good he can, is. All I can think about. When when I think about Kittle is that last play of the Saints game. Oh my gosh! Where they throw yeah. him like a five yard out. They have to get like what thirty five yards to get in the field goal range, and he's just dragging the entire like, Saints team, <laughs> taking but, concussions. By the way, like head to head hit. Yes, and I was gonna. That's say, why like, I he, compared him to Legarrette Blunt. Right. He runs so physically that like, and I'm sure I'll remember this, but he just is so aggravating and such a pest that. The uh, the Saints end up grabbing him by the face mask yeah, to pull him yeah. down, so he ends up getting like a sixty yard play yeah. because he's just too impossible to stop, and people can't keep their composure. Man, him and Kelsey, you need a good tight end to make the Super Bowl, don't you? Yeah, him, Kelsey, Gronk, Zacher. It's a couple of years ago. Whoever the Rams had last Delaney. year. Well, the Rams. Oh, had oh, oh Gerald, we're about, like great basically. guys. But, yeah. Bef- before, <laughs> before we get into Stop the Nonsense, I want to talk about uh, the Houston Texans who <laughs> on Tuesday announced that Bill O'Brien has officially been named the general manager of the team. When does that ever work unless it's Mr. Bill Belichick? I mean, the last memory I have of that was Chip Kelly who totally sunk the Eagles by tr- by signing a bunch of stupid free agents. Like, he signed DeMarco Murray to be a lateral runner when DeMarco Murray is clearly not that. 
He got rid of Nick Foles and signed Sam Bradford. I mean, it was just stupid decision. He drafted Nelson Aguilar, who was terrible with Chip Kelly. Uh, it was just bad decision after bad decision, and that's like the last example we have of this, you know, head coach slash GM. Yeah, you know what's a bad decision when you put out the statement and your own fans are like in comments replying, "What are we doing? I thought he was going to get fired. Why is he promoted?" Oh. I mean, I thought he was going to get fired. Oh, I knew he wasn't going to get fired because, like, no one would want to go there. Oh, my God. What did did they blow? A 24-point lead? I mean... They gave him 50 points. Like, he's the worst, right? Like, I mean, everybody always... You know, I'll never forget, on the way back, the last time that... uh, I guess it was not this year, but last year... The Titans beat the Texans with, you know, Blaine Gabbard at quarterback and running the Wildcat with Derrick Henry. And they did that versus a healthy Texans team except for uh, Jadavian Clowney, who didn't play. That was that game between Vrabel and LaFleur is maybe the greatest coached game I have ever seen. It 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 is it was definitely like them getting more than like the sun like the sum was more than the parts. Like they, they got the most out of that team that day, which and some of it was, you know, the first time they used trick plays. I wish they would stop doing fake punts so often because, but whatever. I don't, I don't want to talk about that right now. But uh, the point is, is that I was crossing the bridge and there was just dejected Texans fans all around. And they were like, "We need to fire Bill O'Brien. We've been saying it for years. This was last, like not 2019. This was 2018, and they continue to do." the same things which is they make plays in sort of a like playground football kind of way where Mahomes is at his best when he's out of structure and you know Watson what I say Mahomes sorry uh Watson is just like can I throw a deep ball to Will Fuller or Stills no okay I'm gonna scramble around and then throw the ball to Hopkins and you know that's cool but it's got nothing to do with Bill O'Brien and at and the end of the year, it's not a model just, of winning. No, it, it's like it would be like if well, I, I guess this is a great example. It's Adam Gase, but who's lucky enough to have, you know, Watson and the greatest receiver in football today and Nuke Hopkins. Like, I mean, it, it's just a guy who got lucky and is having other people cover his deficiencies. It's, it's like, like I said, it's Adam Gase with Peyton Manning. Like people think you're smart because the end result is right. But at the end of the day, the things you're doing are bad and hurting your team, yeah. but they're getting covered up. So, I mean, it's great for the Titans because at this point, Bill O'Brien has seated or the, the Texans organization has seated all control to Bill O'Brien. And he's already traded away multiple first round picks for, uh, Laramie Tunsil, who led the NFL in pre-snap uh, penalties, which is not good, and he also allowed something like six or seven sacks. It was like his career. Did worst. he? Yeah, it was. It was not good. He allowed two in the first wow. game, um, and then like he just he, he and I think he allowed two more in the Ravens game. But the point is, like, they're just not a very like well coached team at any point or at any part of the offense. Um, and really, it, the linebackers are good. But the point is that Bill O'Brien has not assembled a great staff. He's shown an inability to correctly evaluate talent and figure out how to use his draft picks. He kind of like waved his power around to get you know get 
the Texans to draft offensive line may. You know, he just everything he does is the wrong move, and he Jedi mind tricks the organization into thinking that he he wasn't at fault when his fingerprints are all over it. And this this was the year. Like this was the year. You don't have any ramifications from trading away future picks, and you know. You don't, you know, you trade away Clowney, like that's fine. Nobody cares because your defense is bad anyway. I mean, we're going to come into next season, and I mean, they better hope they can find some free agents because they're going to have to pay all these guys a lot of money soon, or you know, just fall into oblivion. Yeah, it's it's hard for me because they keep winning the division, but that team should have been in the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, like, like if if Andy Reid is the coach, they're in the Super Bowl. Well, I want to say it like this because that's a really good point. But somebody tweeted, I think it was, uh, oh, who's the writer, uh, the Houston Chronicle writer that's Aaron Wilson, McClain. John no, 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 McClain. McClain. John McClain. McClain. Sorry. Not John. Uh, Is it John? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who's the guy? So John McClain also. Like, okay. He was named after the writer. Wait, sure. <laughs> um, but <laughs> you almost got me off on point and I forgot what I was talking about. But. Uh, since Bill O'Brien has been hired, he has the only team in the AFC South who has not gone to an AFC championship game. That that feels like a pretty good indictment of him as a coach. I mean, Chuck Pagano got the Colts to theirs, so. I mean, yeah, like, Chuck I mean. Chuck Pagano was a great coach, man. Uh, Bruce Arians was a great coach. Not this year. Not yeah, this like, year. <laughs> like when he cares, <laughs> like when he cares enough to actually worry about it. Uh, all right, it's time to get to stop the nonsense. This segment where every week we share the biggest nonsense from either within the sports world or without. So, uh, without further ado, either of you want to go first? I do. Okay. Uh, this is from uh, I don't. What's the opposite of friend of a pod, friend of the podcast? It's from Blake Bettingfield, uh, who nemesis, nemesis, yeah, nemesis of the podcast. Blake Bettingfield, uh, who is part of the scouting departments that drafted Doriel Green Beckham, <laughs> Justin Fowler in the fourth round, Jake Locker, Chance Warmack. Need I continue? No, I mean he like he's one of those guys where if you're watching a movie and you're like, wait, the bad guy was there all the time. And then you look in the background of all these pictures and there's this figure lurking. Like that's betting field, like uh, suggesting that the Titans draft locker over JJ Watt and all these other things. So it's just a, a history of bad, you know, it's sort of like Bill O'Brien. So uh, think Oh, Hey that. Blake. Uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs> yeah. Hope hey, you Blake, didn't catch let's, that. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's talk about this. So, uh, <laughs> For whatever reason, I usually don't do this, but I had to this week just because I didn't have anything else to listen to in the gym. So I turned on the Blake Bettingfield, you know, uh, interview that the Midday 180 does every week, and I listened to it. And you know, it's it's generally like bad analysis or strange analysis or whatever, like which is fine. Like some of it's opinion based and whatever, but they get to the point where they talk about Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, and the direct quote from him is. If you can't re-sign Henry, then there's no need to sign Tannehill, which is the most backwards logic that the way he explains it is that that Derrick Henry is basically a kingmaker. Whoever plays quarterback behind or beside Derrick Henry would be would work in this offense, which is not what we saw in the entire Marcus Mariota era. Like. 
I love Mariota. Like I, I, you know, I hope he, I hope he wins a Super Bowl next year. Like whatever. Like that. That's not the point here. The point here is that betting field is so like sensational in how he treats stuff that, you know, a year ago, six months ago, I'm sure he was preaching how you can't give you know a guy like Derrick Henry a lot of money, and now because he's a hot topic and because he's done well, he's throwing all his years of. Oh, I hope I hope he's ignoring the lessons he should have learned with the Chris Johnson deal, with all these other you know free agent signings that he made when he was with the Titans, and he's ignoring all the history and just saying that quarterbacks don't matter as much as running backs. Which, if that's true, it, it or I actually said like this: if you believe that and you're believing that because you hear it from him, stop listening to him. And if you just believe it in general, you're wrong. You win because you're a quarterback. The only reason the offense shift from bottom ten to top ten in the NFL was because Tannehill came in instead of Henry or instead of Mariota, and Henry was great down the stretch. That's not the point here. The point here is that it is much harder for a running back to continue that level of consistency and dominance as opposed to a quarterback continuing to be efficient. Okay, here is mine. And, and, Will, I appreciate that very much because that was a stupid comment. <laughs> so mine actually comes from 2013, but I had never seen it before, and for whatever reason it popped up on my Twitter timeline this week. So back in 2013, the Memphis Grizzlies were in the Western Conference Finals of the National Basketball Association. And shortly thereafter, Bill Simmons went on ESPN. You guys might have heard of this. I, I hadn't. Uh, Bill Simmons went on ESPN and claimed that Grizzlies fans are overly tense because they were still affected by the Martin Luther King Jr. assassination. No, he did not. Here's This is a quote from Business Insider magazine. Quote, I didn't know that much about Memphis, but I didn't realize the effect that the MLK shooting had on that city. This sounds like something Barry McCockner would say. The shooting... <laughs> This shooting kind of set the tone for how the city thinks about stuff. Like even, we were at game three, right? Great crowd. They fall behind and the whole crowd got tense. It was like, oh, something bad is going to happen. And I think it starts from that shooting and it's just the mindset they have. No, no, no. I believe I'm the one who no, retweeted no. this onto your timeline. I mean, I may not have been, but I did retweet this because you're right. It is an insane thing. I forgot about this. Like, what what in the world? That's the worst sentence in the history of the world. Yeah, what? how is that Parasite. not like? It's, sorry, I mean, like I'm rattled. I'm it, rattled. And it, like, and you may think that Luke's like kind of portraying that quote in like some way that might be like, like not correct. That is exactly the context. No, I just in. read it. Like I just read it. I mean, it it's is like, real. It because the, there's an audio quote of it too. Like, and it's that is exactly like that's not out of context. Like that's the it's first time we've we've been doing the stop the nonsense segment since we started this show about 25, 26 weeks ago. So this is about time number twenty seven that we're doing this. This is the first time that I have ever had to check and make sure that I wasn't reading from the Onion before I shared it. <laughs> I mean, it's it brutal. Like. I, I I don't know how that wasn't a bigger deal. I did see a funny onion story today. The headline was uh, ways to uh, to keep in shape at work, and the cover photo was this man with a copier machine taped to him. He's like walking <laughs> around the office carrying the copier. <laughs> okay, Matthias, close this out. Pro football focus. Yes, <laughs> I'm I'm done with you. 
uh, I'm so done with you. One of your analysts, Austin Gale, uh, tweets tweets a video of uh, Baylor receiver Denzel Mims at Senior Bowl practice. Just a bunch of cut-ups of him in one-on-ones. And he tweets, Baylor's Denzel Mims rocketed up PFF's draft board after a strong week at the Senior Bowl, going from number 71 to number 37. Mims showed off advanced route running ability in the one-on-one drills. He's an explosive physical receiver prospect with legit skills. How does a week of practice make you shoot up half of the entire draft board? I mean, he saw him in shorts and a sleeveless shirt, and now instead of being like a late day two pick, he's a borderline first-round draft pick. I mean, what sort of process just... Give me, give me those numbers. Give me those numbers one more time. Im- immediately discredits uh, four years or whatever, how many years of college production he had because of one week of practice. What numbers? He went from number seventy-one to number thirty-seven. Okay, so the trade value chart says that uh, basically what that means is he went from being what like to trade up to that pick is you would have to give up at least an extra second rounder this year. So imagine if if you were if you watched a GM like let's say Dave Gettleman because he's the worst other than I guess Bill O'Brien now. And you walked up and somebody said, "You can have this wide receiver for a third round pick." And you said, "Okay." And immediately you come back and say, "But what if I offered you a third and a second round because I watched him work out and like watch him work out in shorts?" Like it's <laughs> yeah. insane. Like the, no extra film work was done. No numbers were analyzed. It was just like what can you possibly see in a senior bowl that you can't see in a career's worth of time? Like, there's no excuse. I mean, for that. as many Titans training camp practices as I've watched, and guys, quote unquote, looked good that yeah. we never heard from again. Yeah, training it happens all the time. Yeah, but but also, like, this is senior bowl practice. These are these are like late round picks usually that he's going up against or mid round mm-hmm. pick. These aren't even like NFL legit starter cornerbacks that he's going up against and getting these reps against. So I just, I just don't, I, I don't, I don't understand the process. Yeah. PFF has been really getting on my nerves lately. I just don't understand. I don't understand what they're doing, man. They're, like there were Sean Evans being below a 50 on their grading scale this season. Someone, someone's gonna have to come out and make a statement on that because I just don't understand it. Also, yeah. bonus, bonus, stop the nonsense from me very quickly. <laughs> I, this comes courtesy of our our friend of the show, Justin Mello. He'll be on with us in a month or two when we start doing draft stuff. Uh, he quote tweeted a video of Frank Clark at the podium today, saying, uh, telling James Palmer of the NFL Network that yeah. he he as a kid growing up he idolized Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew is one year older than Frank Clark. <laughs> <laughs> that guy is such a. a I can't say it. He's a war. Like, uh, he's a dumb ex. You know, d- dumb. I want to say. I want to say that there was also a quote where uh, he said that the 49ers have never seen a defensive end like me. Yes. And then that, that was a quote. And said that uh, they've played each other like five times or like seven times or something. Oh, like, yeah, because he used to be in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, like they've seen Frank Clark's entire career. <laughs> like it, like they, to say that is 
bananas anyway because they see a better version of what you can dream to be in Joey or Nick Bosa Nick every Bosa. day. But it's like to say that against a team you've played like a half dozen times is just wild. Like I can't, I can't even understand how you, that could come out of your mouth. Well, that is going to do it for us. We will be back. Actually, not next week. We're going to take next week off. We have gone nonstop ever since the start of training camp, so we're going to take a week off. After that, we'll be back for more off-season stuff. Maybe the Titans will have a new defensive coordinator. We can talk about it. Who knows? Uh, But enjoy next week of not having to listen to the three of us. Uh, We will enjoy being off, but we will be glad to be back in two weeks. So stay tuned for that. And until then, for Matias and Will, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. What? Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money.